following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your apron is the hardest part of the ring on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, <laughs> and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? Uh, I'm a bit weirded out, Dave. <laughs> this is strange. It's a strange we reward for us. <laughs> yeah, we so like... To peer behind the curtain a little bit uh, for Days of Thunder this week, this is the first time we've ever recorded a podcast where we can see each other's faces. Now, we're not breaking restrictions, we're not in the same room as one another, but we did stump up to try a bit of Zoom (laughs) this month. It's only taken us a year behind everybody else. It only took us hitting a particular wall with Skype Mm. on our last episode. I think anyone who follows us at WCW Thunderpod would have seen... It was a fucking calamity. It took me about a week to sort it out because mm. there was... So Skype was one thing. We kept. Get, I think we got cut off three separate uh, times from each other. Yeah. Um, And then as well as that, then there was desync issues on our audio. So it was an absolute mess. Um, So if this turns out to be one of the better episodes, then maybe it's Zoom because it definitely won't be us. <laughs> that's for sure. Or the content of the show. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, Jesus. Look, let's pull that bandaid off pretty quick. This was a shocking episode of World Championship Wrestling Thunder uh, this week. Oh, my God. Uh, but before we get into all that, uh, how has your, your week, your two weeks been? <sighs> it's actually three weeks, isn't it? <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, it's three weeks yeah, since we've spoken, since we've spoken two, two spoken, weeks yeah. since they've heard from us, that, the Thunder that, Buddies. That is true. Um, yeah, look, it's it's very much routine at this stage. Um, I try and stay off Twitter as much as possible. Um, just getting on with life and hoping that eventually we will get out of this lockdown. Yeah, I know. I, am, I don't know about like where all the listeners are around the world, but... Um, I say that like we're the number one podcast like <laughs> all all the multitudes of of thunder buddies across the globe um but in ireland anyway it feels like one of those you know that bit in the simpsons where homer runs to catch up with the car and as soon as he gets the hand on the door they just drive away mm-hmm. a little bit more um yeah that that's what it feels like uh we are now in lockdown till may it looks like i think there's a review date set in april, april but we basically realistically it's it's going to be that may bank holiday that everyone's looking at mm-hmm. um the thing i keep looking uh, the thing i keep thinking of is that the uk are looking at coming out at i think it's june 21st isn't it and they have their shit uh, uh, incredibly at, the, at this stage they've actually got it together better than we do mm. uh 
we were just resting on our laurels handling it so well for so long and and now if they're not out till june i am hesitant to believe Mm. that we will be um like i said to you it'll be another lockdown birthday for me in june this year i think (laughs) uh, well considering i just had my my first lockdown birthday so yeah um, happy birthday uh, by the way thank you very much Uh, belated for sure by the time this comes out but uh, (laughs) yeah you didn't get up to much then no no, I did not. I watched Thunder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. An ignominious birthday. And also that awful United match. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That's just a poor day. At least you got some booze, I think, didn't you? I did get a lot of booze, so that was That's helpful. Our, our families really know our brand at this stage. Between Christmas and my last birthday, I'm just starting to think the word's getting out. Oh, no. My, my purse is now overflowing with bottles of whiskey, oh, good stuff. wine, gin. Yeah. <laughs> we should we should uh we should share pictures at some stage on the instagram mm-hmm. of our our our, our sellers basically <laughs> at this like it's only a little press in my sitting room but it feels like god i, I need to upgrade the the press at this stage yeah, definitely um yeah i mean my two weeks has been all right as well um i finally after much uh complaining and trying to get one online managed to get myself a ps5 so that is going to help lockdown considerably although i can pleasantly report having haven't tried to do it this week that the uh wwe network app is still absolute horseshit on ps5 they haven't even made a ps5 app for it it's just a ps4 app ported that over reinstall yeah. and it's awful it's still awful the the only stable version of that i can find now because it's gone to shit on the xbox as well is just uh, off the phone directly through a chromecast oh, is the geez. only kind that doesn't go absolutely mental on me and yeah i, fi- uh, I find casting it is just horrendous yeah uh it's grand out of a browser most of the time mm. as well i find it's a bit when you're watching a live stream like i tried to watch some of elimination chamber because i happen to be up not like I was particularly fucking looking forward to it or anything. Um, and on my browser, it was a bit crap. And then on the Chromecast, it was all right, but it was delayed by like 90 seconds yeah. or something like that. So there is no version of it that isn't at least a little bit shit. Well, I mean, it's dead um, now. like so. the company. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Maybe when our, our peacock overlords come this side of the Atlantic, we'll have a better experience. But well, uh, Here's hoping. Yeah. Um. Well, before we talk about any wrestling, uh, as we often do when we have a particularly shite episode <laughs> a whole 80, 80 minutes of action this week let's not mince words here this was a fucking shocking television program uh, with one notable exception I think mm-hmm. um, we like to reach out to the Thunder Buddies and ask them do they have any questions could be Thunder related doesn't have to be um, what do they want to pick our brains about and boy howdy even more than usual uh, did our listeners come in clutch for us at the last moment because we also a characteristic of ourselves we'd never ask until we're like literally oh yeah until, sit down and do the show. until i was taking notes this evening did i go ah, maybe i better ask <laughs> yeah but we've got our we've got i think um in terms of like the spread of a bunch of different people asking questions mm-hmm. and a bunch of different types of questions as well yeah. um so let's just kick off here <clears throat> the first question i i have on the schedule uh from mcclernan 85 on twitter uh, a fellow f4w uh board survivor like myself um how caught up with all the episodes uh he, he's he's just caught up with all the episodes he's a relatively new listener to the podcast and he has a quick question for the next episode if we're looking for them is there anything coming up that you can imagine being worse than disco pulling double duty at halloween havoc 98 
Um, now I know I, I, very quickly you respond on Twitter say basically the entirety of 1999 um, but I think it's an interesting question because so the longer we, we go into Thunder here I think the better my memories get of having watched it mm. and the more we're going to, into uncharted territory for you um, so there may be a few blind spots for you and some stuff that's in rose tinted glasses for me mm. but uh apart from the entirety of 1999 is there anything you're particularly like oh fuck <laughs> the, st- the stuff coming up probably will be like um d- the nonsensical like hogan face torn post wolfpack nwo reunion yeah and then very quickly hogan turns face again and it's just all that kind of stuff i am not looking forward to that yeah I think for me, the stuff, it isn't necessarily angles and things like that um, where I'm like, oh God, I'm dreading this because I, I really, we're kind of through 1998 mm-hmm. where it's the dull kind of bad. Yeah. So when we get into fun bad, I'm having a great time. So there's not really a whole lot I'm dreading and I will live to regret those words. <laughs> but the stuff I'm regretting more is when really good or talented people in wrestling have very visibly checked out. Yes. Uh, and the two yeah. I think of that are the saddest are Tony and Brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both huge fans yes. of the pair of them. I it's, it's one of the, even though his pomp was before I was watching wrestling, from my digging back and from the, years that he was still around when I was watching wrestling it's one of the saddest I wish he was still with us and as sharp as he was uh, Bobby Heenan mm-hmm. and I, we have always rated Tony and we're both so glad he's back and he's commentating on AEW and you have to feel Brain would have had some sort of a role oh, he, in AEW yeah, he would, would have came in at some stage just for something so the point at which we start to hear that the two of them have basically had their love of wrestling mm-hmm. taken away from them and flair is also getting to that point as well as he has often documented himself um that's the stuff that would be the hardest for me because i'm like these are people with such a talent and such a passion um for this hobby and this business that um to watch them hate it and actively just wait Sound so disinterested and- and yeah, and wait it out until the fucking thing is dead in the water so then go off and do whatever else. Um, that's going to be the hardest for me, I think. Yeah, that, that that's very fair. Um, he, McLaren also asked, uh, are you rapidly approaching? I think he means as, uh, as we... Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. As you're rapidly approaching what's considered to be the point of no return for WCW, the finger poke of doom, are you regretting also watching notable three-hour nitros? So, do you feel that Knights of Nitro Lee is a, was a bad idea? No, because I think we haven't had a bad Knights of Nitro yet. Mm. So, yeah. at the moment, no. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you have planned for a lot of 1999, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I definitely, we reserve the right to change our minds on that one. Um <laughs> But yeah, we will probably if you ask us this question again when we're in two thousand and we've got like the Russo reset oh, nitro. Oh well, I can't wait for that. It's actually I love that episode for all the shite it is, mm-hmm. um, and Russo's revenge war games and and things like that. Like then we're going to be struggling with our nights of nitro. The thing I always think of that I I love about doing those episodes every now and then, Lee, is that 
compared to Thunder, even a Nitro that isn't as good as other Nitros still feels like it has more of a definitive structure mm-hmm. to it. The main events feel like, you know, it's a bit, it's a, it feels more consequential than a Thunder main event, oh, even yeah. if it also ends in a DQ finish. Um, even something as simple as, even if they don't give a fuck about most of the rest of the show, the simple structure of having the Nitro girls at the top of every hour <laughs> the, <laughs> makes it feel like you're watching something that someone yeah. at least a little bit thought the, about. The top of the hour pyro, the constant commentary changes. Um, yeah. Like you said, like, in spite of the absolute madness of most of the episodes, like you say, there was kind of a structure there that you could kind of build off. So, it, yeah. and again, we have to remember that whereas on Mondays they were going opposite Raw, at this point in 98, there was no SmackDown. Yeah. And it's in 99 when SmackDown premieres that we start to see Thunder fuck around the schedule and go Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday. You know, yeah. so. I, I think, when I think about Bad Nitro versus Bad Thunder, Bad Nitro, um, it still feels like they've got some ideas and they're throwing out a wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the trouble with a Bad Thunder is it feels like it got to mid-afternoon on the day of taping and they were like, oh shit, we don't even have a, a list of matches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck will we do? Let's get Mike Enos out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too many times we have seen one Mike Enos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that is your uh, Enos alert for this week, by the way. Um Carl Bryan, Mr. Carl on Twitter, says, I've been re-watching some of the 91-92 WCW, so this is right up your strassa now, Lee, mm-hmm. uh, which was when I was I first got into it, and I can't help but feel the Dangerous Alliance is massively overlooked in terms of best stables. Um, so let's just, I, I suppose, we'll, we'll he's got a couple of uh, kind of subcategory mm-hmm. questions here afterwards, but we'll just tackle that one first. Dangerous Alliance, where do you stand, Lee? A phenomenal group. Hmm. And I wouldn't even say they're underrated anymore because in the last I want to say five years, six years maybe maybe even in the network years people yeah. have really rediscovered just how great that era of WCW was. Mm. Like basically from Rude's debut at uh, Halloween Havoc where he comes in as the Phantom the Halloween Phantom yeah, and then right through until the end like you have the, the awesome feuds with Sting Steamboat, you have Aaron and Larry as a tag team which yeah. you know probably shouldn't work but, yeah. but it really does um, mm-hmm. you have Steve Austin as the next guy lined up mm-hmm. Polly and Medusa are phenomenal additions outside of the ring and bring yeah. so much to the group I I think it's a thing where I feel like amongst kind of fans like us the mm-hmm. kind of deep in the we'll go through our history fans and have been around for a long while fans I don't think the Dangerous Alliance is overrated and I, or underrated, should I say. And I don't think they're underrated by... I feel like they're probably a wrestler's, wrestler's mm-hmm. faction. Do you know what I mean? The people who study their tapes probably love the Dangerous Alliance. I think they're underrated in terms of that very WWE-centric version yeah. of how history played out. Be- because um, Triple H didn't grow up a Rick Rude fan? he doesn't they they don't get that publicity that the horsemen get yeah and i'm not trying to say they're as good as the horsemen like the horsemen were the no. horsemen and they're such a huge part of wcw history yeah. but for those couple of years where the horsemen were gone between 89 and like 90 late 93 94 yeah like 
the dangerous alliance really filled that gap and they were main players and that is a huge vacuum mm-hmm. to fit like you wouldn't envy anybody that task of trying to fill that um but yeah i think the more because one like i said Triple H wasn't a Rick Rude fan, he was a Ric Flair fan. And because I also think because of WWE and they're so weird with how they look at Heyman. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like every alternate month and depending on what role he's in, they love him or they hate him. And I think during the period where they first started digging back on WCW history uh, and putting out DVDs would have been when he was on the outs after being shit canned from WWE ECW so I'd say that has a role to play if I were to guess and even if it was before that that they were starting to look back on WCW stuff even when he was uh, Smackdown 6 era and everybody was effusive of praise with Heyman on the the internet and and, um, watching on TV Stephanie still hated him yeah but that's true Uh, (laughs) you know so like that guy wasn't getting his due Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean and we know they're very weird when it comes to wrestlers that have died so again Rick Rude doesn't get that due that he probably deserves yeah and I think there's also like there there was for a while I felt a kind of we're not going to acknowledge Steve Austin before he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like <laughs> Do you know? And, and here's the thing with it, like it never gets brought up that Steve Austin was on the he was right on the cusp of like the upper mid card. Yeah, that's why it's so kind of like it, it's not like a thing where Bischoff fired him over the phone and you know nobody could see yeah. what a talent he would become it was if you watch steve austin back then like it was obvious that guy had serious upward yeah. momentum it, it, like if i i'm pretty sure everyone that listens to us has watched the ecw documentary the rise and fall yeah. and it's like even Heyman on that goes that i was lucky i was the first one that called him yeah <laughs> and it was that yeah. that simple you know everyone knew he was going to go to the wwf yeah, like I'm not sitting here saying I knew he would be the biggest star oh, in the no. history of the business, but like you knew that guy was going to be a top guy mm-hmm. in his time. There was no doubt about it. Um, Follow up, uh, interesting one. Speaking of stables, do you think they'll, uh, this is also from Carl, uh, do you think they'll ever do an end for the Bullet Club or will it just peter out? And I was trying to think today when I saw this, like have there really been that many in terms of wrestling history? And I don't just mean WWE. Have there really been that many just really satisfying conclusions to a big stable that's run over many years? Because I can't think of a huge amount of them. Like, the horsemen always petered away. They never yeah. had a big, you know, the group must be disbanded kind of thing. Um, the NWO, God, we've seen so many iterations. It just never went away and then just never came back after, what, 2003, wasn't it? The last one? They tried to do? Yeah. 2002. Yeah. 2002. Was, that was the HBK, Booker, Big Show. Nash. Yes, yes, yes. Because it was before HBK was actually fit to mm-hmm. wrestle again. But he was back around getting ready to go. And Nash did the squad again, didn't he? Yeah, he'd be walking across the ring. <laughs> um, so, like, the NWO kind of it went away for a while. But without ever being a big thing of going away. Mm. Um, DX, God, DX just fucking died on its arse in 2000. Yeah. I suppose the only time I can think of a DX, because DX have obviously been around several in mm-hmm. several iterations, the time DX had a really satisfactory breakup was when Triple H pedigreed Sean as soon as they reformed in 2002 oh. to start that angle, which we were just talking about in a group last night. Yeah. 
there's the, the that was like the last great feud of Triple H's career. That like mm-hmm. summer, autumn, and winter with with Sean. No shocker, he's like having a great feud with Sean. One of if not the greatest wrestlers of all time. Um, like again, I'm trying to think of like mainstream stables it's and e- you know it's even hard like good or bad it's even hard to come up with many stables that had a conclusive end as opposed to petering out do you know what i mean most of them just do you know ah uh, mm. you know it just kind of fizzes out i was actually thinking you know speaking of bad the only one of the ones i can think of that had a very conclusive end was the fucking alliance yeah i mean that's true <laughs> and i mean but those belts still hung around for a fucking a while and yeah, we were and all... all and all of them kept their jobs. Yeah, well, that's the other part. Well, I mean, Test had immunity, so you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> alliance worker Test. Um, I mean, the main event Mafia and TNA hung around like a bad smell, and then yeah. Steiner was in the tracksuit for about two years after <laughs> it gone away. You tell that man he can't wear the tracksuit. Um, the Aces and Eights. I mean, they didn't have a a very satisfactory always... ending. I'm always, um, I always wonder, was it a good idea to go with calling them aces and eights as opposed to like the other name for aces and eights, which is the dead man's hand, which I think was like for the vibe they were going for with mm-hmm. Sons of Anarchy, the dead man's hand might have been much better. But, you know, I'm not telling Cavzilla that. <laughs> Listen, um, we all just know we're waiting for uh, Taz to show up and impact with his aces and eights festival on. <laughs> <laughs> that is flannel. Um but in terms of what Carl's asking there, do you think they will do a proper end for the Bullet Club? Because I mean, they the, were bru- the, the Bullet Club has gone through so many iterations already. It, it, like, it wouldn't be satisfactory, I don't think, if they did. There, there was, like, a brewing idea of a Bullet Club civil civil war that they could still, I guess, go to. Mm-hmm. The pieces are still there. Um, like, But I, I have no interest in seeing it. I have very little interest in a lot of what New Japan are doing, booking-wise. Oh, well, New Japan are all over the place at the moment. But, um, yeah, like, the, the thing at the start of the year seemed to be they were setting up the kind of Japanese faction are part of the of the Bullet Club to take on this new Jay White-led kind of gaijin part of the Bullet Club. and Yeah. For some reason, it's just all being re-amalgamated together and they're all happy days and... It, it yeah. seems to be that it's just one big fucking blob of people again, and then you have the whole impact stuff at the moment. And yeah, I can't see it ever going away because there's too much money to be made, and they're still making yeah. so much money. And that and it's one of those things where you can never really write them off because there's I think there's three or four occasions in the past where you've all thought, oh, Bullet Club is done, mm-hmm. and then there's like a change of who's in charge, and all of a sudden they get a little bit hot again, like even if it's not with us. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I, I don't think anybody would have thought that it would have gone on long past Devitt leaving. No. And then you have like AJ coming in, which is a surprise success. And then you wouldn't have thought, right, AJ's gone now. Oh, here's Kenny. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I, I could never write off that they will ever end Bullet Club, like you said. But going on wrestling history and going on how Gato has been booking of late, I wouldn't be putting my chips down on a great conclusion. I mean, I think it, it could eventually just kind of go away. Like, it will just kind of slip away. It won't be a big breakup angle. I think it will just steadily just less people be in the Bullet Club and mm. eventually it'll just be fucking Jay White and ELP. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what Carol says here to finish off his comment which is it just reminds me of the NWO in your current timeline it's not really going anywhere and members are just there yeah. 
like that feel it's it feels like the more likely conclusion is that it's going to become one of those new japan stables like chaos where there's just kind of a loose affiliation yeah. to bullet club um just to have mm-hmm. an affiliation uh rather than them actually meaning anything uh, except in maybe multi-man tags that remind you um that they're al- allied somehow um andrew gilkinson uh one of my favorite ats of our thunder buddies here on the the question list at andy dandy mandy <laughs> Uh, <laughs> best match you've ever seen live um, I have two if you want me to go first you go first because mine are redacted versus redacted yeah oh god yeah like the, our, our top five and top ten list took a hell of a fucking batter <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll have to have a think about that just while, while you name your two so the the two, um, my number one has probably been my number one since I saw it. Like there's a couple of redacted matches mm-hmm. that troubled it. But in terms of like just this kind of breathless feeling, I think maybe my favorite match I've seen live is uh, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn TakeOver Dallas. Like it was one of those, I had just started going to independent shows in Ireland because the indie boom was just starting late 2015, early 2016 over here. Um, so I'd seen some good shows in, in the Tivoli and that, and, you know, good reactions. But in terms of, like, being at a big wrestling show and, and hearing, you know, that idea of, like, a molten crowd for something, like, my hair stood on end um, before the entrances were yeah. even done, you know? And the crowd did not fucking stop the whole time. And... Uh, my good friend and, and co-host of Link to the Cast, Mark Robinson, will tell you that my voice went during that match from shouting and it did not come back the entire rest of the week that I was there <laughs> in Dallas. Like I sounded like a hundred year old sailor for the rest of the week, just gravelly as fuck. So there's that. The other one I was thinking of was maybe my first 16 carat, which was 2017, uh, Walter Ilya Dragunov mm-hmm. in the final. Um, they've obviously had that match a bunch of times. They, they've they even had it on NXT Redacted uh, <laughs> just before Christmas. And like, you know, fucking, you don't have to give it to them. No. <laughs> but it was a very good match. Mm-hmm. I, I think... I preferred the one I was there in person for. There is obviously always that live bias. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- there's a few matches like that I've seen. And if I think back through the history, if I try to comb through what's redacted, um, there's probably a lot more I could mention. But those are the two that came to mind immediately when mm-hmm. I saw this. Um, seeing as you mentioned WXW, I remember the, the first time I went to Tag League and the first match on the first show of the weekend was the Lucha Brothers against Ringkampf. Oh, yeah. And I remember Alan Forel running through the, the hall, the Turban Halla, and grabbing me going, Welcome to the Turban Halla League! <laughs> <laughs> Probably, like, supposed to be on commentary at that he moment. Just, I just so left the headset so spinning in excited, the air. like, and it just, I just remember going, yeah, this is fucking, this is incredible. Um, yeah. The other one I can think of would be Ricochet and Will Ospreay uh, OTT yeah the one where we have that incredible photo of the two of us ducking as <laughs> as Ricochet yeah, flies over us I should post that on the Instagram as well because we've posted that on the Twitter a couple of times um, 
but yeah, no, that that was incredible, and that was like a real follow up from their best of the Super Juniors match. Yeah. That was the first time they had actually wrestled singles since then. Mm. So it was a real coup for OTT at the time. Um, I also shout out to something from last year. I was just kind of opening my match of the year spreadsheet as I was talking there. The uh, dad battle of Daisuke Ikeda and Yuki Ishikawa from last mm. year at, at Carrot was just like the, la- the last big show before the world ended and just they fucking battered each other. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary uh, at Carry the Gary on Twitter if Fit Finley is the most overrated wrestler you've seen so far on Thunder Road, who would be second? Ooh, um, the second most overrated person on the roster. Feel free to cut some promos here if you want to make some enemies. Is there anybody that you're you're watching Thunder and you're just like, I just don't get it? Like, there's really not. Like, there's one. It's more. People have gone up in my estimation. Then yeah. more people have gone down. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we've mentioned that Hugh Morris is just like we we get it. He's a big agile guy, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's not. He's he's definitely. I would say he's a very good contender for second most overrated. When mm-hmm. you think about the role he ended up playing, where it's like, how could a human being with eyeballs watch a Hugh Morris match and go, "There's the head coach of my developmental." Well, I mean, they put Matt Bloom in after him, so... Yeah, I know. But at least, you know, a lot of people would, would go to bat for Matt Bloom sooner, both as a human being yes, and as somebody they true. enjoyed as a big man wrestler. Um, Yeah, Mar- Morrison would have to be high, but... I mean... Uh, Chavo Guerrero. Yeah. He has been so hit and miss and, like, downright bad Yeah, a lot of times. Most people, you're like, even if I don't like the wrestling in the ring, mm-hmm. you can see the appeal. Like, I think the big one with you has been Conan. Conan, Conan where, early on was awful. But now Conan's getting more time on the stick. And you're just mm-hmm. like, uh, y- you can't not like the guy when he's cutting yeah. promos. And he's like, you can't deny how over he is. Mm-hmm. So you can see the appeal, even if he's phoning it in. Um, Kim Geist uh, asks, uh, outside of Hogan, Hall, Nash and Bischoff... Who do you most associate with the NWO? Um, and I, I'm going to go first on this one because I, I think it's funny that the person I, outside of them, the person I associate most with the NWO is the pro- person most synonymous with standing against the NWO and that's Sting originally. Mm-hmm. I think when you take out the big three and Bischoff, I think the NWO is defined as much by the people that went after them as it is by the people who were in it. Um, and it's it's kind of, it's more optimistic to do that rather than try to sift through the 43 members of NWO we've got now. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I don't think, like Sting wasn't going to be my answer, but I do think that's the best answer. Um, like, I can't help but say Brett because ultimately Brett's career was went to such shit after like 99 like late 99 after this, the Goldberg match obviously yeah. and then they had that like NWO 2000 reunion yeah. and you have Brett in no state to perform like stumbling around wearing an NWO shirt and I can't like it's been burned in my mind ever since I first watched it back then yeah. like at the time so it, for me, it has to be Brett, especially after watching this not very good run he's had in 1998 as an associate of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yeah, 
as a, not even an associate, a fanboy. Let's just yes. let's just call a spade a spade here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, who have we got next? Um, Ashley Clements. Uh, have either of you guys been watching WandaVision? And if so, <laughs> what are your opinions on it so far? Uh, how long have we got? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think we'll we'll go brief and spoiler free here. I will say it is my favorite show on television at the moment. I absolutely fucking love it. Yeah. Um, I love it as well. Um, I'm one of the people who actually liked the slow burn at the start because mm-hmm. I wanted that change of pace. Um, and what I will say as well, uh, you know, which might disagree with some of the the think pieces I've seen very. Uh, stuffy critics write about it uh, I actually like the weekly release schedule yes it makes me pine back for a time where you actually did have to wait a week to watch the new episode of Lost or whatever the fuck <laughs> mm-hmm. you know um, I like again I won't go into like spoilers and stuff but like considering the next thing up is Falcon and Winter Soldier yeah we aren't getting that slow born so I have very much enjoyed the slow rollout and the slow reveal and as somebody, as everybody knows, that wasn't a comic reader and isn't familiar with all of the fringe characters, yeah, the weekly reveals have been just, I've been on the edge of my seat. And I think because there's so much going on in there, like if you're having to binge all nine episodes to mm-hmm. avoid spoilers, I don't think you're going to have that fun of no. like, I have a group chat going with friends of the show, Jack Lazell and Keith Brony, where we just spend about an hour after the episode just going, well, what the fuck is happening now? Do you know what I mean? And if you're able to immediately watch the next episode, you don't get that week don't get of that, like yeah. speculation and reading up on fan theories and stuff like that. So yeah, I like it. I, I'm a big fan. Um, rounding us off, we got our friend Tom from this very podcast network at Starfleet Blues on Twitter. He's got a bunch of questions for us here. Um, so let's just dive in. If Bischoff actually pulled the trigger on Bret Hart, be- Bret Hart being the centerpiece of Thunder, what other guys would you use to build around Bret Hart to make a solid 10 in this soft draft to help Thunder stand out from Nitro? So he said, yeah, nine other guys. Uh, I don't know if I'd, I I can go up to, to nine other guys off the top of my head right now. This is one I'd like to sit down and think about. But who are some of the guys you'd want to, like if you're going to do a, like a Smackdown 6, but for Thunder, and build it around Brett, who are you going with? Okay, r- right off the bat, you obviously want to differ- differentiate it from Nitro. Yeah. So I'm saying you have Brett, you have Flair, you have Booker, you have Raven. Um, I mean Saturn if, if Raven's there you're probably going to have Saturn there um, then I would make the tag team division a focus on the show yeah if, if <laughs> more on that later <laughs> um, but instead of going like instead of saying right it'll be these amount of people I'd say like keep a lot of the NWO stuff to Nitro yeah have a good focus on your kind of more wrestling style on Thunder so you have your Brett you have your Flair you have Booker Raven adds that kind of unpredictability and then a big like I said a big big focus on tag team wrestling because yeah. there were so many people employed that like there's so many teams like we just see nothing of mm-hmm. like we never really see Steiner and Bagwell tag team no we don't really see Bagwell and Norton who were a really good tag team in uh, Japan yeah <laughs> um, to say nothing of tag teams that you could just make out of guys that they're doing yeah. fucking nothing with 
exactly like so many lower down lower card guys like that should be in tag teams like i know they're not great but like if if the armstrongs are on the show every week getting beaten by a tag team yeah great yeah. <laughs> you know like um, you need somebody it, to be beaten it looked like they were getting behind the dancing fools for a while and then they weren't yeah you know it's it's just stuff like that but like that that would for me would have been the way to go you have a kind of couple of top guys yeah. a couple of just just below them like really carrying the workload and then the tag division yeah i don't think it's something we're going to talk about a little bit in the coming weeks because there's more turmoil with it but that tag division is going to be a bugbear of ours for i think mm-hmm. almost the whole rest of the run of the podcast because i was trying to think is like when the next when is the next time that they f- proper focus on like just a couple of stable tag teams and i was like jesus chronic. i was gonna say is it <laughs> is it fucking chronic and the harris brothers in mm-hmm. 2000 like is the next kind of we're going back and forth with with two established teams here it's like fuck me that's there, bleak. There, there's one feud i can think of in mid early to mid 99 oh but o- other than that yeah it's kind of an exception that proves the rule mm-hmm. rather than the start of a trend uh next one this is a good one uh would you like to see a final fantasy 7 like remake of the wcw thunder game would the remastered version be better or worse than wwe 2k20 well for starters like as the game correspondent on the show lee uh <laughs> can't be fucking worse than 2k20 it would it would take some doing um a nearly deliberate effort um i don't in one way, I like the idea of the remake because ideally a remake should be of a game that people liked stuff about, but at the time just the game didn't work or mm-hmm. had a shoddy engine and we can give it a 2021 polish and make it look real good now. Um, but I don't know, like part of me is just like, uh, I much prefer those Aki games. Um, <laughs> could we remake that? You know, just, just give me Thunder on the PS4. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know. Um, I kind of lost my taste a little for wrestling video games. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you want to pitch me like a story-driven Thunder RPG, like a Final Fantasy, if that's what you mean, I'm I'm down for that. Like, if we can do... Did you ever read anything about the, the Impact video game, Lee? I played the Impact video yeah. game. Yeah, so like that fucking insane story mode in there where mm-hmm. you're suicide, aren't you? Uh, is it suicide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's suicide, yeah. Yeah, and it's like it, 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 it's it's mental. Anyway, I feel like we should get on the phone to Gary Kidney here to explain it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something like that. If you want to go, give me a full thunder story mode. I fucking yeah, I'm well, I'm on board. Well, I can tell you as somebody who had to buy two K twenty because yeah. my son insisted. It is fucking horrendous. <laughs> um, now he got Battlegrounds for the Switch. He bought it for himself. Yeah, and he has played that a lot more, and that looks like so much more fun. Yeah, and it reminds me of I don't know if you ever played it, the uh, WWF in your house game on the PlayStation. No, that would have been slightly before, before my time your time playing. Uh, I didn't have a PS One. Oh God. Yeah. No, 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 I was I was around on the PS1, but I was an N64 kid. Ah, okay. So I was going to say, now I feel really old. But no, no, no. no, no, really, no. Slightly less old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I meant was, uh, it was before my time in terms of being able to have both consoles. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I, nobody, I, had, n- nobody had both. I had to pick and just insist the other one was shit, because I didn't want to feel like I was missing out. 
Um, but yeah, no, Battleground very much reminds me of In Your House from when I was a kid. It's like that kind of arcadey and like really strange power ups and power moves and stuff like that. And it, it does seem like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's what I think like the problem for many years was that they caught, got caught somewhere between trying to make it a fun game and a wrestling simulator game mm-hmm. and trying to make it a hardcore wrestling simulator game. Unless you're going down the fire pro route, doesn't really work because no. like how can you have a realistic simulator of a worked sport? I mean, we've all been shouting it for years. All they need to do is bring back gen- general manager mode. Yeah, yeah. GM mode and like all the crazy youtube videos that come with it and Mm -hmm. just make it a bit more fun i think that procedurally generated universe mode was like it was like half of a really good idea that they never really never never embraced we just threw it out there and then Mm -hmm. whatever and never really focused on it even though i think that could have been the kernel of something a bit better for them um next up from your memories can you remember when thunder lost its charm and its identity what show what moment etc um Show four. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing is like very quickly, like it was definitely easily within the first ten thunders, we started to cop that like this show was already an afterthought mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So it's hard to say when it lost its charm. When I don't think I I think it feels like one of those things that everybody rightly accuses WWE of now, where it's just like they just wanted it to be content. Mm-hmm. rather than having a specific idea for it it's like they they realized we have 200 people on staff we need an extra show yeah um so in, in terms of like losing its charm i think it's about to gain its charm because yes. as an all-time shitty television program mm-hmm. that's that's the charm it always had for me um and i think for us we very quickly embraced it when we realized okay it it just doesn't matter already. Yeah, is when we we fully embraced the embrace the, the embrace the Kenny chaos. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. I, I, yeah, I think and maybe another moment for us was when we realized we're heading into that stretch of like a year where every second thunder is taped. That was a moment mm-hmm. where we're like, oh fuck, like yeah, every second show is gonna be like this now. <laughs> um, but thank God the thunder buddies have our back. Uh, final question then, also from Tom. Thus far in your viewing, what is the defining thunder moment, uh, both good and bad? Um, for I me, mean, I think the the bad is like how consistent a streak of main events ending in disqualifications mm-hmm. like that's the thunder hallmark for me um in terms of good like it, it's either the buff mirror promo or the scott hall of trophies promo <laughs> <laughs> you're forgetting the hoovy beefcake promo oh yeah the hoovy in like a weird monastery looking wistful in a very tight top yeah there's been um, some good vignettes and some good matches, but like nothing where you're like, this is iconic television. For me, the moment that just I couldn't believe nobody talked about this more when we found it on the show was DDP on TRL or the predecessor to TRL. I know, right? Like, How I co- did no- like nobody talks about that. Yeah. Still, like we, you know, we brought it up on the show when it happened like a year ago and Go back and look at that show. I'll, I'll look up here while we're talking what the name of that episode was. But that was a bizarre segment. Just fucking DDP, Raven, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> All the lads. <laughs> and, um, I mean, the, the bad for me is 
like I can't even think of one specific bad moment. Yeah. But I think it very much is like the the taped shows in of itself because the crowd are just so uninterested. Yeah. Because that, like even like having a tape show isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. No. But it was clearly that like they had no there was no thought given to how the product would look mm-hmm. taped back to back. You know, if I were them, I would do something that probably people would say is a bit more convoluted, but like book it in such a way that you're doing about like half of each thunder on each part of the block of tapings. Mm-hmm. So at least it's an even level of crowd reaction. Um, yeah, like you, you can't have like a show end with like DDP Raven and then all of a sudden like three matches later is Horace versus Mike Enos. Yeah. <laughs> It just it just doesn't flow, you know what I mean. Um, I'm still kind of struggling to find where this TRL bit is. Uh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Oh yeah, it was episode eleven of Days of Thunder, non-stop banging, because uh, that was one of the early times where DDP was in a promo threatening to bang people left, right, and center. Um, and he and hasn't stopped. On... <laughs> he has not stopped for one second. Maybe that's the highlight of Thunder. Banged him. All the all the banging. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Look, it's time to go to Thunder, but we need to be braced with some beverages before we do that. Lee, what have you got in the canister this week? Well, well that's empty. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whiskey. You have which less is, than you did. Which is now gone during that uh, lengthy question phase of the show. Um, yeah, no, I had a, a lovely independent whiskey. I, I don't even think there's a, like a name on, on the whiskey. It's called a Proclamation Irish Whiskey. Mm. I don't. I can't even see who it's um, made by, but it is absolutely lovely. You've seen me sipping away at it for the last yeah. 40 minutes. Um, lovely stuff. And then I have here beside me, I have a, a Boyan Brewhouse Ooh. Amber Ale. Mm. And it's rich, malty, and flavoursome. Oh, lovely. And it is lovely. I actually have to do, I only realised when I went to the fridge, that I have to do a beer run, because I'm mm-hmm. essentially out. So, I, I very sadly, in terms of beer, it's, uh, this is how exciting I am, it's a Club <laughs> Orange Zero. <laughs> no alcohol whatsoever. I was actually, I what I really wanted and I thought I had was, I was watching, shout out to our, our boys, our friends over at the Grapple Spotlight, uh, I was watching their their live stream of the Spotlight podcast last night, and uh, Benno had one of those orange that the little orange beers that we like. Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, oh, I really want one of them. I think I have one of them. Went to the the, the fridge today. Sadly, nothing. So I've got my 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 fizzy orange here, but <laughs> I I did rustle up a uh, Jemison ginger and lime. Uh, ah. In one of my fancy glasses bought for me by a friend of the show and brother-in-law, uh, Alan Murray. We've been so. over this. He's, he's no friend of the show. <laughs> he's no friend of yours. Um, right, let's get into it. Thunder, episode 40. Uh, a pre-taped show from Roanoke, Virginia. Really? Dated. Yeah, I know, yeah. Not that it wouldn't be fucking apparent within about 90 seconds. Um, you always know, you always, always know it's a pre-taped Thunder when they won't mention where it is. Yes, and they, they they don't instantly go to the uh, announcers. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they sometimes they've done it where they've taped them going to the announcers again. But yeah, when they go straight to the action, it's like okay. Mm-hmm. Um, dated twelfth of November nineteen ninety eight. So this show is going to be headlined by Conan versus the Giant. I wonder how that's going to end. <laughs> and we're straight into the action here on Thunder Lee because Glacier is out. 
Um, they do mention on the way to the ring, um, they, they say something about how politics and wrestling are closer together than they've ever been before. And I, I think to myself, lol, little do they know. Little <laughs> do they fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> um, they mention, of course, that on Nitro we had uh, Hogan announcing his presidential campaign with Eric as his manager. We will have more on that in a later segment. Um, we've also got, thank God, this like anchor of sanity, Lee, that we could cling to for however long we needed to, knowing that Ray versus Hoovy was coming up. Yeah, that was like looking at the way this show was opening, and then they they mentioned Ray Hoovy. I was just like, oh, thank God, at least we'll have one good match. Yeah, um, I always find it funny because like <clears throat> obviously when you you start the show, they always talk about what's coming up, and it's mm-hmm. almost never the matches that would actually keep me interested now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always like, here are the big stars. But if they announced, like, if they didn't bother announcing Giant and Conan or whatever the fuck the main event would be on a given week, but they just said, you're going to get some fucking awesome Rey Mysterio match yeah. or a great... There, like, there, a there's a Lucha six-man tag in the middle of the show. <laughs> yeah, or like Eddie and Saturn or some shit. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I'm staying tuned. Um, so Glacier's on the mic and immediately like whenever he speaks god bless him like everybody says glacier like genuine nice dude great guy that character should never talk no it the mystique is ruined straight away when the slightly southern twang comes Mm -hmm. out with fucking sub-zero you know (laughs) (laughs) and on a week where did you see that fucking awesome mortal Kombat trailer for the new movie i haven't seen it yet no oh my god it's so good but like you look at Sub-Zero in that and you look at fucking rinky-dink glacier over here, it's 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 tough. It's it's tough going. Um, what what the, do you think, stick, sticking to his story that he invented the cryonic kick? I, I just, as soon as he said it, I was like, is he still on about this? For fuck's sake, like. He was gone for six months. Yeah, what's brilliant about it as well is, so he says it and I'm thinking, oh, why the fuck is he still beating this drum? Because he was doing this during when they initially started put, pushing Saturn. Mm-hmm this was the thing that was getting like part of what was getting Saturn over was that like this was a mini singles feud he had um and <laughs> I think that like right so they've pushed Saturn and now they seem to be cooling off on Saturn and in that entire time Glacier's character arc has stayed exactly where it was <laughs> that whole time through the entire arc of another character um so yeah he's still mad about that fucking cryonic kick and I love that straight away I think it's Tony it's either Tony or Lee Marshall uh, because Lee Marshall definitely says stuff during the match about it but they basically say it's just a fucking super kick yeah he would have been doing it for years because <laughs> it's Chris Adams that comes out to face him yeah and I'm pretty sure it is Lee that says like Chris Adams has been doing a super kick for a lot of years yeah like this isn't something new <laughs> yeah it's so bizarre of all the moves um but yeah, Chris Chris Adams comes out and I thought, oh, is this like maybe his last appearance? Because it's been really few and far between for a gentleman, mm-hmm. Chris Adams. But like, he's still showing up on Thunders almost the whole way through 99. Really? Yeah. Now it's only a handful. But yeah, it's 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 October 99. Uh, he finishes up on Thunder anyway. Uh, I think Thunder is actually one of his last matches, uh, if not his last match in WCW. And he has like three matches outside of WCW after that, according to Cage Match anyway. Um, 
Yeah, the match starts and Marshall immediately calls Glacier's claims to the kick rubbish. I love that he uses a very kind of European expression to call it rubbish instead of garbage. So I, I appreciate that from Lee Marshall. Man, man of culture. Um, I, I also remarked, because again, a lot of the matches on this show are completely unremarkable. But one thing that was remarkable is that Glacier basically looks the same now. I'm trying to think of the last time I've seen him. Probably like one of the times he came out with the Nightmare family. Yeah. Yeah, God, he would, yeah, he would have looked fairly similar in the facial region. Yeah, like he has maybe, what, like 20 odd pounds of dad heft on him. <laughs> maybe a little more. But other than that, like like I said, facially identical. Yeah. He has that magical, it's not the fountain of youth, it's like the fountain of mid-40s where he was just it's like... just mid, mid-40s and that body was. Just hit that, yeah. stayed that way. Um, so fair well, I, I mean, if you've seen any of the pictures of Aaron Anderson's son, Brock Anderson, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> that that child was born thirty two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was shattered uh, in one week seeing a picture of him and Rick Steiner's son as well, who has gotten signed by NXT. Yeah, what what what's his name? Bronson Rick Steiner. Bronson, yes. which is the fucking coolest. Don't change that kid's name. Whatever the fuck you do. And he looks like a brick wall. Yeah. I he, mean... And then... Oh, what's the other guy? The, the other Brock fucking clone that they're after signing? Oh, yeah. They signed some, some high school wrestler that looks like Brock, but 19 with tattoos. Yeah, he he has like love and pain tattooed on his fucking knuckles. and Yeah, he's a big Fiend fan. <laughs> what are his heel and hurt or some shit? Uh, it's, it's fucking something stupid anyway, but like... You just know this guy is going to flame out at some stage. Yeah. I actually, I noted a, a particular, like, apart from the anxiety of just WWE being shite all the time, tune in for that little bit of Elimination Chamber. There's like, you watch that show and there's a constant anxiety the Fiend is going to show up and make it worse. Especially now that he's like, you know, burnt to a crisp or yeah. whatever. You're just like, he's showing up at some stage and I'm not going to like it. So I can't get invested in anything. Well, imagine how Jojo feels. <laughs> He's gonna come home, fucking, <laughs> with all his puppets and shit, like fucking state of him, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Adams gets a, a little bit of shine in in this match, throwing some good strikes from like a back mount. Fuck all happens in this match, mm-hmm. but uh, just as Chris Adams is about to like gain the upper hand and possibly win, Sonny Ono comes out to point out that Glacier's foot is under the ropes. Uh, this distracts the ref. Cat comes off the top rope and decapitates Chris Adams with a kick. It looked great because mm-hmm. he probably stiffed him something fierce with the kick. And Glacier wins with a bizarre thumb to the throat submission. Yeah. Um. So two things. Well, three things. One, Chris Adams super kick. My God, that's a fucking super kick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a super kick indeed. Number two, Sonny Ono missing his cue by a good four seconds. <laughs> On a tape show where they could edit that down. Yeah, well, you know, WCW. Um, and then, again, yeah, the, the cat's kick to the back of Adams' head is just absolutely disgusting. Like, okay. th- And this is a man that misses his finisher more times than not. 
It's not on the level of when he decapitated the Armstrongs. That's still... Actually, can we go back to that question about the highlights of Thunder? When the cat beat up the Armstrongs outside the building that time? With, with Bobby Heenan looking on. It's through the door like a creep. Yeah, that was the highlight of Thunder. Um, yeah, it was it was poor. And, but at and least that kick what? looked cool. You, you know a match is bad when there's no replays. No sponsored replay on this match. Yeah. Couldn't be fucked. <laughs> and that's a mission, man. I mean... Like, what oh, the fuck? He literally puts his two hands at his throat and, like, jams his thumb under his chin or something. Yeah. It just... I don't know. I wonder I why it didn't know. catch on. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, Flashback to Hogan's campaign reveal on Monday. Uh, I did love Hogan psyching himself up during his entrance by going, I can run this country. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, what we know now in 2021, I mean, would Hogan have been a worse president? I was going to say, would he even crack the top five most racist presidents? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> I, I mean, look, there's been a lot of racist white dudes as president. And I mean, most of them in the last fucking couple Four of years. Well, <laughs> gonna say 50 but anyway um and i mean here's the other thing to consider if hulk hogan ran in that election and yeah. somehow by the grace of god won yeah hulk, hulk hogan would have been your president during 9-11 i know could <laughs> part of that i just love the the visual of the presidential debates between hulk hogan and al gore because like this is something I mentioned is that like at one point in the interview they do an interview with Gene Okerlund and Gene is like oh what party are you going to be a candidate for I was like come on (laughs) I mean look at that guy look at his bank account and look at his friends is there any fucking chance that guy is not a Republican candidate I mean listen if the Bush boy wasn't promised to run as president I mean I wouldn't have put it past the Republicans Oh my I mean, word You can imagine Hogan on the podium going Let me tell you something brother yeah. The ozone layer is fine <laughs> And I suppose like much as you go Alright okay like it's not the wildest thing in the world to consider Considering a demented game show host Won the presidency four years ago But like even in 1998 It's not the weirdest thing in the world Because as the, like the impetus for all this Is that Jesse Ventura became the governor of Minnesota mm-hmm. Now The thing you'll say about Jesse Ventura Is that like his politics or not, he's a very articulate guy who at least gives off the air of being well thought and educated on things. Whether you think he actually is or not, he at least has that gift of waffle, as we would call it, mm-hmm. that he can make you think he knows what he's talking about. Um, Hogan does not necessarily have that. Like, could you imagine him giving the State of the Union as just one of those 10 minute rambling Hogan promos? <laughs> As I drove up Pennsylvania Avenue, brother. <laughs> You'd have to hire me and Gene, wouldn't he, for all his press conferences? Oh my God, I would love that so much. Press Secretary Gene Okerlund. <laughs> and just every press conference starts with Gene introducing him and him just going, let me tell you, mean Gene. <laughs> I'll tell you what, actually, right? We'll park, the, we'll park the, the political chat for now. But what I want people to do, at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter... Give me your picks for the Hogan cabinet. Right? Give so me ha- your give me your picks. Who's vice president? Who's your chief of staff? 
who's your your labor secretary different roles like that um get, shout out and let us know who you'd pick in the the hogan administration yeah i'm trying to think what positions do they have in in a in administration you have like defense minister for defense or right. um chief of defense um education health yeah. agriculture all that Ag- sort of stuff yeah so i mean there's there's plenty of options you can come up with and yeah. be creative and what role do you put brother brother brutai in because you know he's getting a gig somewhere well what 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 position did jed bush get he ran like fort fucking david or something didn't yeah, he fucking left behind as the president <laughs> he got um yeah so so let us know that that would be an interesting one um but he says he's congratulating Jesse Ventura at the start of this promo. And he says, uh, in regards to his own run, if he can get one good American standing beside him as his running mate, he'll be the man to lead America into the new millennium. And one of the people he shouts out in the list is Oprah. I would love to see, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the conversation where Hogan asks Oprah to be his running mate. <laughs> good Lord. I mean, who, Mr. T probably would have been a show. Mr. T, yeah. Piper would be a great one. (laughs) You want some guy who's like mean and and shit as your vice president to be your attack dog? That'd be great. Um, So he fobs off a question about, yeah, he fobs off that question about what political party he's going to be in, just completely ignores it and just talks. A true Um, politician. And then Gene, ever classy and ever topical, finishes off the conversation by asking Hogan if he likes a cigar. I was like, oh, Gene. But what I love about this was that it nearly cracked Hogan. Because like I didn't Hogan... know I, I didn't notice that now. So Hogan nearly laughs and just stares at him and goes, I don't smoke, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed that. I was like, okay, that's great. <laughs> I love that Gene was just in don't give a fuck mode. And it's just trying Firmly. to pop people. Yeah. Yeah. Um so then the the three lads on commentary uh try to blow smoke up our arses, hyping up World War Three as if it's gonna be any good. Uh, as we talked about on last week's show, Lee, you know for certain it's not going to be, so let's not get ourselves uh too excited, eh? Um one thing we didn't mention that is discussed in the first match, we have a tag team title match. At World War Three, uh huh, and that, it's relevant to the next match here. Well, it'll be talked about in this next match as well. So yeah, it's uh, Rick and Buff challenging the world. Scott and Buff. Or sorry, yeah, Scott and Buff. Sorry, challenging the world tag team champions. And and Lee, who are the world tag team champions at the moment? Well, that would be one Rick Steiner. Yes, and his tag team partner. Just remind me, I, I've just, I'm blanking on it. Who Who is Rick Steiner's tag team? Because surely it's another bruising hoss of a man. I mean, it had been. It <laughs> yeah. was a very roided up Kenny Chaos. Yeah. But for some reason, he relinquished the title, I believe. And in his place, instead, we get the ultra-competitive... Ultra talented, <laughs> mean Judy Bagwell. Oh, mate. 
And as soon as I saw, as soon as I heard this, I was like, I would say Lee went through the fucking roof. <sighs> Did I you didn't... know this, by the way? Yeah, I knew this was okay. Coming. Okay, but I try not to think about this because <laughs> <laughs> it just makes you sad. I mean, listen, I don't go for the fucking like this. This is just fucking like they 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 talk about David Arquette like he ruined the company. Yeah. I mean, they had a fucking 60-something-year-old woman <laughs> as a tag team champion. Yeah. Which was worse? The time they used Judy Bagwell as a tag team champion or the time they used her as a stip when she was on a forklift? <laughs> I mean... It's tough, isn't it? it is, that's a difficult decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can walk away from the match if you don't want to win it. Yeah. Oof. Um, you can't walk off that forklift though um, <laughs> so next up we have Kendall Windham versus Kenny Chaos it's a veritable who's that of wrestling um, <laughs> is it Royd or is it Rage yeah they they mention again early on this who the tag team champions are uh, Lee in terms of the actual match absolute banal shite wow, I have nothing to say I have nothing about this match except to say that uh, Kendall looks like a photo fitter murderer you'd see on the news and <laughs> Kenny Chaos looks like a hench Hugh Morris <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> I mean look the, these are two guys I don't want to think about I don't yeah. need to see these people ever again uh, Kenny Chaos wins with a dreadful springboard clothesline and uh, the replay once again brought to you by Glover on the N64 but uh, Tony being a complete dad calls it the Glover <laughs> which I love I oh, have no recollection of Glover so yeah, it's good shit it was good shit it was like <laughs> a proper bang average N64 game um, next up the Matt Classic Jerry Flynn versus Stevie Ray Jesus Godly why why these two matches back to back? What did this crowd do to deserve this? I know. Poor Roanoke, Virginia on this night. Unless it was like the queues were really bad for the toilets. So they're like, let's throw these two out back to back so everybody gets their piss break. A highlight of the two matches back to back is Bobby picking his pick yeah. for for the Battle Royal. Yeah. So in the previous match, he had said, you know, he let Lee and Tony pick make their picks. And then he said, oh, you know what? I'm taking Booker. Booker T is my pick. And then as Stevie is walking out in full NWO regalia, Bobby declares, there's my pick. <laughs> and this sets off Tony in a way that Tony doesn't normally get set off. <laughs> and he's just like, no, you pick Booker. Booker. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I picked Stevie. No, this is, this is my pick. And Tony, from here until pretty much the end of the show, is just constantly on Heenan yeah and they were at each other for the rest of the night it was like they were so desperate for a nugget of something that would bring Mm -hmm. them joy that they just stuck to it and you know rightfully in this case completely ignored what was going on in the ring Mm -hmm. Um, yeah they're just having fun trying to make him fucking stick to Stevie Ray and and I love as he's like okay right I I won't pick Stevie and he's like I'll take Norton (laughs) and Lee goes Ed Norton (laughs) <laughs> Edward Norton <laughs> and, uh, big primal fear fan eventually Tony and uh, Lee are just like you know what Norton is a good pick <laughs> yeah 
there's a point there's, uh, my favourite point is the point where where Brain is like right I won't pick anybody else tonight <laughs> and he attempts to numerous times yeah yeah he does um, so yeah there's like um, uh, just Stevie beating down on Flynn strikes stomps slams bear hook uh, yeah Flynn does a a really creaky looking wrist lock into a hook kick uh, Stevie throws him out through the middle rope and the goon squad of Vincent and Norton set upon him back in some dull back and forth um, Stevie wins with a slapjack I got nothing hey remember Horace Hogan was in that hot angle with his uncle a couple of weeks ago yeah I love that and because they um, they mention uh, Hogan mentions in his segment a bit, like Gene asks him who's going to be his running mate that's how he gets to the Oprah bit mm-hmm. and does not mention his own nephew. No. Like you would have thought, oh, you know, I get Horace, brother. But he, I think he do, he does mention uh, Brutus, doesn't he? Oh, um, don't recall. I think he does. I think he does. Don't quote me on it, but I think he does. Um, but like, no, that's the one guy. Yeah, you got to have him. I was just going to say, like, it's amazing. It, it was in part of this big angle a couple of weeks ago. And now he's just like henchman number four in, yeah. the, in the black and white, like. Yeah, he's not in the first two that they'll call out to no. companies someone for a match. That's it. He's like C-team NWO now. Already. As we've seen from the gif I sent you earlier on, Vincent is the man to call if you want business taken care of. Oh my God, yeah. You showed me a horrendously botched apron suplex uh, that Vincent does that nearly kills a man. He, he stumbles as he's attempting a suplex to the outside. And instead of, you know falling back and trying to protect I think it's Sar- Sergeant Buddy B. Parker yeah Um. no no Vincent just lets go of the suplex and Sarge crumples neck first on the apron in yeah. a disgusting manner he essentially lawn darts him directly down into the apron it was like it would look like a death move if you were deliberately trying to do it Um. but hey at least Vincent didn't hurt himself yeah it made it. It made it look like you'd take eleven burning hammers in a row before you take this mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> like, um, next up, thank God, Lee, we have reached the oasis. Ray versus Hoovy. Deep breath. This was, ah, uh, like like you say, just an oasis in a desert of absolute nothing. Yeah, and I actually looked up so. Hoovy and Ray are like common rivals. They've wrestled a lot. So I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll have a look. So I checked the cage match. And according to cage match, and don't forget, these two were in Mexico at the same time as kind of younger wrestlers. So I'm sure there's plenty of other matches they have had that just weren't documented. Yeah. So how many singles matches would you say Ray and Hoovy have had at in their careers? I mean, Jesus. Are we Do talking not- three figures? No, actually, oh. they haven't. So, singles matches they have had. 51 singles. Right. That's that are probably, documented. Considering how long they were, like you said, the, how long they mm-hmm. were coming up together through various places, you would imagine that's, like, low for mm-hmm. how long they could have been doing that match. But then you have to consider that Ray got signed in, what, 2002? Yeah. And Hoovy was only there for what fucking six months yeah like ray wasn't gonna be let do lengthy programs with the no. mexicals <laughs> he wasn't slumming up at that stage i think he was already 
on his way to being a world champion when they came in, wasn't he? Uh, so they came in, was it after the first one night stand or after the second one? Oh, after the fourth one because Super so, Crazy went to ECW after the second one. Yeah, so it's the, is it the same year? Yeah, it would have been like mid-2005 when they came in, wouldn't it? Yeah, so is that the same year that Ray was champ? No, it's he, the year before. Yeah, he won it in 2006. Because he was champion. He was champion at the second one night stand. Yes, and he faced Sabu in that yeah. fucking great match. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 51 singles matches and 148 total matches. Mm. So again, like, I ex- looked it up expecting, you know, these two are going to have fucking mega amount of matches. So I was a bit surprised yeah. it was so little. Mm. You wonder where the likes of Eddie ranks up against that. Mm-hmm. In terms of numbers, maybe that's something we'll look up for next week. Well, I'm or sure somebody if, can look up for us. If we ever get to a, a Ray Cicosis match, we can look look it up, and I yeah. guarantee they're easily into the fucking triple figures. Yeah, yeah, for singles matches. Um, so like it's one of those again where this match was such a breath of fresh air and such fast paced action. It's hard to really like. I haven't recounted here in my notes blow for blow what happens because mm-hmm. it's just fantastic wrestling action. Something <clears throat> I um noted very much when I'm trying to compare it to previous times we've seen these two guys interact with each other. Hoovy has come on leaps and bounds in terms of presence and confidence in the ring. There's a little bit of swagger, a little bit of kind of like he's in the heart. He knows where the hard cam is now. He's mm-hmm. smiling. He's grinning. He's happy to be there. He's showing more personality. And like when you think about how nervy and off the pace he was when we started this podcast, mm-hmm. it's, Massive improvement. And it's that thing of he's taking his time. Mm. In spite of the match, at, at times in the match, the, the pace is unbelievable. The, yeah. the, the way they're moving. But Hoovy paces himself. He also takes, yeah. like, they do a move and Hoovy just takes a moment and he goes, you know what? I don't need to jump on him straight away. I just yeah. take a moment, let it breathe. And then they go again. Mm. And it's like you say, just Hoovy has been... I know we, I think we say it on every episode we talk about Hoovy. It's that gradual improvement we've seen over time, and that that's a really rewarding part of the, of the show for me. It's it's one of the things where I'll always wonder where Hoovy would have ended up if certain elements of his personality and his demons didn't get in his own mm-hmm. way uh, a lot of the time because that guy had so much talent and like I said, he's figured things out here much more, like. One of the things, so obviously Rey Mysterio, uh, the greatest, if not one of the greatest um, cruiserweights of all time. And one of the things, like, you know, he, he does things through the mid-90s, early 2000s you've never seen fucking before in your life. Mm-hmm. And just jaw-dropping action in his matches. But one of the things, I think, for some people, that gets overlooked is that Rey, from a very young age, understood the placement of different spots in the match. Like you said, so Hoovy in his early run is coming out and he's going 100 miles an hour and he's trying mm-hmm. to do absolutely everything, get his shit in, as we would say in the 2000s. Yeah. Ray always understood when to slow down, when to do something a bit different, mm-hmm. and when to read the crowd as like, this is the time for the explosive maneuver or the, the jaw-dropping uh, flip or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And... I guess, you know, with the development of Hoobie, because Lord knows we can't fucking put it down to any of the uh, the higher-ups in WCW, but 
I guess it's one of those things where if you have a guy in a division where he's essentially wrestling some of the, the best wrestlers of their generation in North America, you're just, you have to get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or else you or else you're Chavo you Guerrero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or else you're Chavo, yeah. Um, this was actually something I was thinking about before we started recording. I was thinking about like the, the Hispanic roster that they have at their disposal at this time in 1998. I mean... I'm trying to think, wasn't it the year 2000 where there was that huge Hispanic music boom in the US? Like you had your yeah. J-Lo, you had uh, Ricky Martin. Um, there was a, a big, big boom. And like the Hispanic yeah. market was a big thing for American uh, companies. Yeah, because going forward in the 2000s, it was the market that WWE were always chasing mm-hmm. with SmackDown. You yeah, know. that that's why Eddie got pushed to the top, like, yeah, um, and Ray then after him, um, but and, whereas, and why whereas... they they scrambled for the Sincaras mm-hmm. and the Albertos after that because once like Eddie sadly passed away and Ray wound down and left, as like you needed somebody to fill that mm-hmm. void and they just they struggled so hard for so long because how do you replace an Eddie and a Ray? Yeah, but whereas WWE thought they could only have one. Yeah, yeah. At the very top of that. Um, That's the problem. That they, because they only would push one to two at a time, there mm-hmm. was never anyone in waiting to fill the void. I was just thinking, like, this roster that WCW has at their disposal at this time, like, they have Eddie, Ray, Hoovy, who was just, done, like, unmasked a couple of months previously. Um, La Parca is right there. Like, they had all these guys right on the cusp that they could have used... Yep. As as this big boom is about to take place, is yep. like it's like bubbling under at this point. Yeah, they would they just... been, it would have been a thing where like with a different set of people in charge, and even maybe a bit of dumb luck, mm-hmm. they could have been at the forefront of the yep. next kind of um, big thing in television ratings. Which you know that like if they had been clever enough to see that, they probably would have pushed them. Out of not be, not out of we think they deserve it, but out of Eric Bischoff was singularly obsessed on the ratings. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you can imagine, like you would have had Ricky Martin, J Lo, all these people, like on like Mark Anthony was another huge one at the time. Um, like they they would have been like on magazine covers and TV guide and stuff. Like you can imagine Eddie Guerrero holding the WCW title, yeah, at the forefront of this movement, like. Uh, an American like Latino he would have been huge yeah and like with the personality like as Mm -hmm. we would see then several years later when he finally got his shot that like he was absolutely able to carry that like even even somebody like a Conan that embraced that kind of more underground aspect of the Latino culture yeah he again should have been even bigger than he was yeah for sure for sure um I'm trying to I'm trying to look here. Um, there's a great moment that I like. I, it's something I don't notice often, but a bit where both men at the exact same time. It's a great little bit of mm-hmm. storytelling where the two of them try the tilt a whirl at the same time, yep. and it can't. They cancel each other out, mm-hmm. and I always love those spots. One of my favorite WrestleMania matches of all time is Jericho and Shawn Michaels, and I always love that idea of telling a story where two guys are either peers or one model themselves on the other and they know each other move for move they know each other inside mm. out 
I love those kind of spots. So the two of them cancel each other out because they had the same idea at, at the same time. I did love Brain saying that it reminded him of the top of Gene Okerlund's wedding cake. <laughs> Which becomes a theme for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like somebody told Brain. Maybe like Okerlund is involved in the post-production on the taped ones. So it's just like they're they're hamming up the burials because they know he'll hear it. He's on the earpiece backstage like on the, on yeah. the headphones. Because there's no way is Gene turning into the super station every week to watch the whole show start <laughs> to finish. Not the fucking chance. But maybe his wife is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, So it's it, it's so good. It's, it's really hard to like sum it up. Um, But just as they're they're getting towards a finish, um, they hit the TV time limit. And I must confess, I'm an honest man, Lee. They fucking got me. Because they hit the TV time limit and I nearly threw the laptop out the window. I was fuming. Yeah, I was the same. <laughs> and then they declared overtime and a huge pop. Yeah, no, I was the same. I was like, why's, why's the bell ring? And yeah. he could see Penzer walk into the ring and he's like, oh, TV time. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, they're going to do a fucking triple threat match. And oh, I was fuming. They, uh, yeah, they worked me good. Um, so there's a, a Hoovy hits a sunset power, power bomb that has an unbelievable snap to it. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like it killed Ray dead. Then in a move that you are looking for, and I think oh. we're in the process of getting a gift for the most almighty Hoovy driver in the world. My God, like he attempts the Hoovy driver. Ray slips out the back as a lot of people would. But instead of, you know, going to something else no no he just goes for the hoovy driver again and yep. he fucking dumps ray on his head and uh, then, and i mean it's like he was a, planting a flag a split second where ray tucks his head and it's a phenomenal spot i fucking shrieked it is a small number of people that i would ever trust to pull off the head tuck with that mm-hmm. much space and yeah fair play to ray here because that oh god the margin for error was tight um so after the Hoovy driver, uh, Hoovy takes too long, uh, taunting and kind of like, it's kind of, he's feeling his oats mm-hmm. and he's like, I fucking got this guy. Yeah. And he's pausing to celebrate with the crowd. As he's going up for the 450, Ray has recovered. He crotches him, top rope Hurricane Rana and Ray wins. Uh, fabulous, fabulous professional yeah, wrestling. A, a really great match. Um, and isn't it weird to say that even at this point in 1998, that Ray is almost a legend of the Cruiserweight division? Yeah, yeah, he's been there what like less than two years, mm-hmm. like, and he's treated like, like, like you say, Hoovy hits that Hoovy driver and he's like, I fucking, I got him, I got the legend here. Yeah, yeah, you would wonder where he would be if he hadn't missed so much of ninety eight with mm-hmm. his injury, um, but we can only speculate. Um, so next up, Tanay is here, and I love it that they didn't bring out Tanay to enjoy Ray; they brought him out to enjoy Chavo. Oh yeah, <laughs> I felt so bad for this guy. Um, I, I, and <laughs> in a great kind of follow-on of the lads having none of Brain's shite tonight, uh, as Chavo is coming out for the next match, Brain makes a crack. That there's a nail on the end of Pepe to pick up trash with at the weekends, and I was like, oh god, Brain. But uh, then Tony goes, "You don't believe that, do you, Mike?" And Tanae, without hesitation, goes, "Not at all, Tony." <laughs> As if the two of them are the two dads, just like ignore the child, ignore the child. <laughs> and I have to say, I love, I love Lee, and I think yeah. he brings something that Tanae doesn't. Yeah, 
But I have to say, when the three lads are having fun, yeah, I don't think there's a better combination than Brain, Tanay, and Tony. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. We love. I think the thing about Lee Marshall is we love him so much because I think when people talk about announcers in WCW, they talk about the real bad ones and they talk about Brain and Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he gets lost in the shuffle somewhere. So that when we started this podcast we were so blown away by how like how don't more people talk about this guy it's like it's not like he's fucking jim ross in his prime or anything mm-hmm. like that or or gordon soley or anything but like the fucker's really good and as we've always said he's got the serious announcer voice mm-hmm. that just sounds like a professional broadcasting tone that you would kill for in announcers now and at times he has that dom west enthusiasm and you can tell he enjoys the product. He's not there just because he's Lee Marshall. He's yeah. there because he enjoys this this stuff. And there's never an air of, ah, I don't fucking know what's going on with Lee Marshall. Like, no. Lee Marshall is a guy who obviously like must have reams and reams of paper in front of him with notes on mm-hmm. every storyline that's going on. So he's always caught up on it. So like you, you always got to admire the work that goes into the craft, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Chavo versus Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. They announced during the intros for this match that we got Nash versus Hall 2 for World War 3. I know you're excited about that one, buddy. Can't we? <laughs> uh, Kidman starts off the match maintaining control of the arm and trying to wear Chavo down. Uh, Lee, this, this match very quickly. It's less than 10 minutes long, but it fell so quickly into the very familiar pattern that as soon as Chavo is on the offense, the match is terrible. And as soon as yep. Chavo's opponent is controlling the match, it is interesting and people mm-hmm. like it. And it's not like people are booing Chavo when he's working over Kidman. People are just not reacting. I have the very same notes. Like, yeah. literally my notes say Chavo's on top and if the fans had mobile phones, they would all be sitting there, you know, looking yeah. at the phone, looking up. Yeah, fuck it, he's still in control. Yeah, you um, gotta think about it, in a time before cell phones, like, it's... It takes a lot more effort to ignore a match. Yeah. Uh, so fair play to them that they didn't, they disliked Chavo so much that they were just staring at a spot on the floor. And and I mean, it's not like there was a million people moving around because they weren't. Like, it's not like you see a bunch of people going up to get, to get concessions or whatever. Yeah. People just did not give a fuck. No. And it nearly kills the, the crowd completely stone dead about mm-hmm. halfway through this. There's like a long period of heat. Uh, mm-hmm. for Chavo god um, thankfully when they start going for the big moves it's largely Kidman dictating the pace um, and again Kidman's another guy who is just so like he's come on so far in 1998 and is one of those guys that I think in terms of the history of cruiserweights in North America he doesn't he's not on the same level as Ray and he doesn't get talked mm-hmm. up nearly as much as Ray but god was he so important for the history of that style and that weight class mm-hmm. um and still like I was he was one of the guys I was so happy when he came over in the invasion because he was like one of my dudes you know yeah. I, I yeah I very much was waiting for Kidman to be a big part and like when he got put on Smackdown and became like one of their their staple cruiserweight guys I was like really yeah. happy for him yeah um and look, dude's got a, pretty much a fucking job for life, doesn't he? He does now, yeah. Apparently, he, he's he's the guy that times out all the shows. Yeah. Because I knew he was like, he was, was he fucking, 
Oh, Road Dog's like number two. Um, when Road Dog was learning the ropes of being the lead producer on shows, okay, right. so like he's obviously one of the next in line. Um, it seems like he's one um, of Triple H's boys. Yeah, would seem to be. Um, so they go for the big moves. Sit out powerbomb for two. Chavo hits his bulldog for two. Kidman reverses the powerbomb because, of course, he does. Goes for the shooting star <laughs> press. But that that I, that's one of the unwritten rules in uh, wrestling. Do not powerbomb Kidman. <laughs> it's like one of the very first wrestling memes. Never powerbomb Kidman. Never. Um, but as he goes for shooting star press, the LWO is out to attack. Like, I'm I'm loath when any NWO or NWO-esque faction comes out and interrupts a match. But, like, it takes a particular goal to interrupt the one move everyone is really looking forward to. Yeah. Do you know? It's a, I suppose, in some ways, done right, it's a great heat-getting device. I was just going to say, it's building heat because I'm assuming... Kidman hits on Eddie or something at some stage. Yeah. Um. So Ray comes out to make the save for Kidman. Uh. He inadvertently drop kicks Kidman in the process, but the two of them clear house. So there's kind of a, he's the number one contender, and maybe perhaps you know we haven't looked forward too much. Maybe the drop kick plays in a role. Like you would like to think in a logical booking scenario, the drop kick is important. Well, they had mentioned that Kidman had uh, inadvertently hit Ray on yeah. Nitro. So they're obviously doing this kind of like, oh, accidentally hitting each other kind of build. I never say obviously because for all I know, it was just the commentators that noticed it and Bischoff never did. (laughs) Um, He doesn't even know they're wrestling. It's one of those things where you know the way we've had many occasions where Tony or Lee Marshall in a lot of cases tries to rationalize what we're seeing as if it's supposed to make sense. Mm -hmm. I never want to rule out that that's a possibility. So we will see. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Um... Next up, Lee, Canyon. And I love the line, Canyon here, keeping it real in the 90s again. Because of course he is. <laughs> Makes me feel like I want to go sit down and watch an episode of Keenan and Kel or some shit like that. Actually, by the bell. funny you should say that. Do you know what? I've been watching with Connor for the last couple of days on Disney. Boy, Boy Meets World. Oh, yes. Uh, literally, the day we're recording this is the day all the new shit went up mm-hmm. on there. So I'm really excited to dig in. I like For Futurama alone, they're getting my... Uh, subscription for another year I fucking love mm-hmm. that show but uh, I also noted because my, my partner we re- we rewatched Con Air recently and she'd, she's watched it a couple of times and uh, Emma said to me that she doesn't think she's seen a particular person in anything else ever before and that person was John Cusack what? and I was just like hold the fucking phone I was like do you mean you've never seen High Fidelity? she goes no I was like, do you mean you've never seen Gross Point Blank? She says, no. And then what were two of the films that came to Disney Plus today? Gross Point Blank, High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. So they're getting a watch. Believe you me. I'm not having that shit stand. Some weekend, <laughs> weekend viewing. Oh, it's a hell of a double bill. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. What a man. Um. So anyway, Canyon, keeping it real in the 90s. And we've got Canyon versus Malenko. And I feel like, Lee, this was all right. I, I feel like fine. I feel like it's nowhere near the ceiling these two guys have, but maybe these guys realized this was a taped thunder. The crowd were dead thanks to Chavo. It was the semi-main. People were tired. They only had five minutes, or well, this, was it five yeah. or seven minutes? Um, so why bother going ninety? You know. Do, do you know what I want to see? I want to see these two on a house show, given fifteen minutes, 
and can oh, Canyon can grab the mic halfway through and do his Canyon shit and like just a proper like fucking house show match. That's what these two would excel at. Yeah, I I remember. What's the like? Have you been to many WWE house shows when they've come to Dublin no, back in the day? I try not to. Yeah. So like I used to go to them because it was a good excuse to hang out with like Zig and Amo. Mm. So like, and I went to one with with friend of the show Alan Murray. For, you know. Lee's drinking his beer, but he wants to say he's no friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, I brought I myself and Emma hadn't been going out that long. So I thought like, you know, it'd be nice to to, to go with Alan. And um, we saw an incredible uh, Seamus versus Cesaro match. Oh, wow. Um, it was like, I think it was right before they did their best of seven. Um, so they were testing out the waters. And they went, I, you know, Alan might correct me in the mentions, but like, I feel like they went about 20 minutes. And it was fabulous, you know. And another one I can remember seeing was uh, on one I went to with Zig and Amo. We saw a a Dos Harris Jr. because he was still working under the mask before he debuted on TV versus Matt Seidel. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Evan Bourne. Um, Evan Bourne, I think, yeah, he was on TV as Evan Bourne at that stage. So Evan Bourne, Dos Harris Jr. And they just, again, they just lit it up. It was great. I think the last WWE house show I went to was headlined by Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton. Oh, dear. And I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, I was also front row for that. My, my now wife had bought tickets to yeah. it and bought like front row. She was like, oh, well, if I'm going, I'm going to go see it. I was like, okay, yeah. you, you paid. <laughs> I think I saw it was a Dan, uh, Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler match that, that banged as well. Um, perhaps my favorite crowd reaction of all time was going to a house, going to a, a WWE house show with friends of the show, Alan and Sarah Forel. And it was infamously <laughs> the night that Seth's knee exploded in Dublin in a match with Kane. Kane, yeah. But the, the highlight of the show, can't even remember who the guy was wrestling. Uh, Miz had a match and Alan got in a chanting contest with a six-year-old. <laughs> I've heard the story before, yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. The two of them just completely firing each other up. Alan was out of his seat. It was fabulous. Um, if you ever get the absolute privilege, there is very few people I would rather sit beside a show to get me into it than, mm-hmm. than Alan Forel. Like, we love, obviously, the uh, two of us in days gone by, love sitting beside each other at wrestling mm-hmm. shows. We have a good laugh. We take the piss, stuff like that. But in terms of, if you just want to go to a wrestling show and just have unadulterated fun and just love the wrestling alan is your fountain of enthusiasm um what a man yeah there's um there's nothing better than spotting alan during a show (laughs) oh my god oh fabulous i remember the time he was caught on um on was it flow slam eating a bowl of uh what was suspected to be cereal at the time yes (laughs) during an evolved show (laughs) But I think it was like, was it um, Jambalaya or something like that? It turned out it was some... Oh, yeah, because it, it was. It was, it was the New Orleans uh, mania, yeah. Yeah, there was a rumour got spread, perhaps by his own wife on Twitter, that <laughs> he'd been spotted with the bowl, and it did look like a cereal bowl, and she confirmed it. <laughs> and it wasn't until hours later that Alan was on Twitter and went, no, it wasn't. That would not be like Sarah. I think I'd say it would not be like Alan, was, and it would be exactly like Alan Dobbs. Oh no, that, 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 listen. Do I believe Alan brought some cereal with him from Ireland to America? Yes. 
Was he eating in the airport? Probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's he's going to be what he's going to be listening to this like when his podcast queue clears about two months from now, and we're going to get a tweet about it. <laughs> Uh, and it's not even my only Alan serial story I have, but I'll <laughs> leave that for I mean, another day. Uh, uh, for when he does listen, Alan, tell us your top three airport serials. Oh, yeah. Give us that. <laughs> right. Um, Canyon gets the heat early in this match. Uh, I, I really loved, so early on in this match, Canyon puts an illegal choke on. And Tanae narks on Robinson because Charles Robinson doesn't declare a DQ or try to break it up. <laughs> And like today, he's like, hey, 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 that's an illegal joke. And the referee's doing nothing. <laughs> it's Charles Robinson. You know, what do you expect? Yeah. Today is just that guy that like just tells the teacher when anything is happening in the class. I'm like, teacher, teacher. <laughs> he's throwing paper balls around. <laughs> um. <laughs> so Brain says he's going to invite Raven to a picnic. And Tony's like, why is that? He goes, so we can keep the flies off the food. <laughs> Because that's the other thing that isn't mentioned about the match is that Raven is sauntering around real sad during it. And is it is it uh, Tony that's just like, oh, he's just looking for attention. Ignore him. (laughs) Yeah, they're over Brain at this point. They just want to get away from the booth they're recording this in after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, Decisive moment in the match comes when when Canyon eats shit on a big splash attempt, which allows Malenko to make a comeback. <clears throat> he gets knocked out of the ring Raven saunters around as if he's going to interfere but just does nothing even though Canyon is kind of beckoning at him to do something which mm-hmm. I liked he's just like eh <laughs> uh, like real teenager behaviour just like I don't wanna <laughs> um, scoop slam from Canyon as Raven bails um, he just walks off and leaves and Canyon's like what the fuck uh, while he's like what the fuck roll up by Malenko for a two count uh, Canyon's fed up with this shit signals for the flatliner flatliner gets blocked uh, cloverleaf attempt but Canyon being as lanky as he is is easily able to get to the ropes uh, he goes for the top rope famous sir uh, Malenko reverses it into a powerbomb he goes for the cloverleaf one more time and as he's doing it Lodi runs out disqualification uh, Dean decks him um, and then as Canyon jumps and then I go from behind that's when the bell rings and then Benoit runs out in the crispest blue shirt I've ever seen in my life <laughs> to even the odds and the horsemen stand tall what do you think of this? again like we said it it was oh excuse me it was fine it was you know nothing special um, they were obviously given the finish and they just went ah we don't need to do anything here Um I did enjoy the flatliner block where Malenko just does a very simple leg trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the bet the Benoit short that we had seen last week. Yeah. In the and big the big horseman promo. Yeah. So he didn't even change for the second no. half of tapings. He couldn't like just put on a t shirt or no. no, no. It, it feels like it, the shirt is so blue and and so crisp looking. I would believe that like. After the first segment, he took it off, ironed it again, and put it back on. <laughs> which seems like a lot more hassle than just having two shirts. Um, but yeah, it just a total pile of nothing at the end because a DQ, like it does nothing for either guy. They're not in a story together. It was very much just, uh, let's throw these two out to kill seven minutes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next up, it's main event time already, an hour and 15 minutes into the program. Conan versus Giant. You can imagine this one isn't going to stick around very long. Conan does his usual stick again. 
even though the crowd seemed to be killed stone dead two matches ago, mm-hmm. Conan has that oh. gift of the gab. He gets them back, even though, like, it, it takes a special talent to, even though you're pretty much repeating the same thing, you're still getting the crowd going. Because mm-hmm. that's what they want to see. They want Conan to come yeah, out. They want Conan to do his bit. And they pretty much get that every week Conan comes out till this company is dead. Play, play the hits. That's all they want. Yeah. Um, he knows oh, his audience. Did- did you notice that this is possibly a continuity error having oh. this match? Because they mentioned they mentioned it a couple of times during the show that Brett, who's been on this fucking killer run of taking people out, he took out Sting, he took out DDP, yeah. and on Nitro he targeted Conan. And oh. yet Conan saunters out here with not a fucking thing wrong with him. <laughs> What's great about that, apart from that's just hilariously bad. Yeah. Continuity error. Is that this match is, what, four minutes long? Mm-hmm. Absolutely could have just lopped it off the end of the show. You oh, could yeah. have you, you could have edited in the pyro before the main event and put the Ray Hoovy match on in the main. And absolutely no one at home would have known. Yeah. Or any of the matches. Even if you want to put that shitty fucking Chavo performance on last because <laughs> it's for a title. Like, whatever. You did not have to air this match. They could have ran the Hogan segment to close the yeah. show. But it just it just goes to show what we always say about WCW is that no one paid attention to the small details mm-hmm. and that just accumulated eventually and no one was paying attention to the big details anymore either. Yeah, exactly. Um, hardly a shock. Um, Giant comes out and his hair looks very slicked back for about five seconds and like then the first time his head just moves in the match all of a sudden it's that weird frizz it's not like cane frizz levels but it's it's frizzy I tell you what I can't wait for the Giant to be gone this is the because he's going to be gone in like a couple of months a couple of months because it's it's Valentine's Day Massacre and mm-hmm. he shows up this is the first time I've noticed he's gotten much more out of shape mm-hmm and like, I'm I'm just over him at this stage. Like he's we like we we twigged a couple of months ago. He wasn't going to do anything interesting. Yeah. How I can't remember if we talked about this on or off the air. How long before that February switch did they know he was gone? Because it definitely feel yeah. It definitely <laughs> feels like particularly in the last like you said two to three months that they're just like. Well, just fucking bide time. The story is that Hogan is the one that brokered the deal. So Hogan's the one that got him in contact with, um, I believe it's was it Luke or Butch. I think it was Luke of the Bushwhackers. Yeah, and he basically brokered the deal between WWF and um, Big Show. Yeah, and so you know Hogan knew well in advance i believe it was about a year about a year in advance that they knew he was gone yeah so that's why for pretty much all of our run the giant has been pretty inconsequential he certainly has and like here's the thing as well that we're going to start seeing that more and more because it's 99 where uh, 99 through 2000 where a lot of defections start happening Mm -hmm. now some of them are sudden uh like relatively sudden and they don't necessarily know 100% of what's happening well in advance like that but I would suspect oh in about 3 or 4 months worth of programming we're going to see Jericho become basically anonymous because mm-hmm. he makes the jump he moves in August but from what I remember on his book he was negotiating that deal for a long time yeah I think it's about 3 months out so you're talking yeah. May-ish 
Yeah. Where he but just becomes like, persona non grata. Yeah. So like he's negotiating the deal for three months, but if again, if I recall from his book, he was actively trying to get out of his contract for a while before okay. that. Like Maybe it's even before he was he hadn't I think again, you know, at WCW Thunderpod, but I think it was a case of he made it very clear he didn't want to be there anymore before phone calls were made to Stanford. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was less of a I really want to go to WWF and more I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, and yeah, I because... think one of the inciting things was that like he had set up that Goldberg program for himself mm-hmm. that like literally again it reminds me it, like no wonder they got on very well. It reminds me so much of CM Punk with the just put me in the main event with Cena and Rock, pin me in five minutes. I don't fucking care. I just want to do it. Mm-hmm. It very much feels like he was like Goldberg can squash me. Don't give a fuck. Just pay Just it off. Yeah. Pay it off. Yeah. Um. So I wonder, is it because it's around now that that thing just fizzes out? I think it. I think initially he, what he had asked for was, oh, just, just send me to New Japan. Just let me go to New Japan. Yeah. And that was about a month or two ago in programming time, mm. I think. When him and, and Eddie went for like three weeks. Yeah. And I think um, basically when he came back and they wouldn't pay off the Goldberg thing, that's when he yeah. really starts saying, right, just, just send me away. Just let me go away. I don't want to be here. Yeah. And then eventually it turned into right. I'm gone. Like I'm gone. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. And you know you can hardly blame him either. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. The other point I wanted to make that I started making is that like, giant very much appears checked out. Like he has gained weight, like relatively recently, and I know mm-hmm. that's something he's documented himself. Like he's very much struggled to keep the weight off whenever he's he's lost it. Because there are so many times where Big Show will make a return, you're like, holy shit, he looks great. Yeah. Every time he returned with abs a few years ago, like, <laughs> you know, um, so he's definitely struggled with it. But this is one of the periods, like, from the time he starts the smoking gimmick to now, where it's just like, I think he's like up he's, here, he's yeah, done. He's so like, checked out. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this at the start of the again, if the Hogan knowing for a year thing. Um, at the start of the year it felt like he was still trying to put a shift in feels like mm-hmm. a guy who was probably professional and wanted to show up and do the work but again conditions behind the scenes and probably how he was being spoken to and treated by the end he's just like just fucking watching the clock yeah Um, the corner chop uh, levels Conan very early the crowd disinterested in this and I think we've gotten to the stage now where not only it that it's at the end of a double set of tapings, but also I think even WCW fans know if it's NWO in the main event and particularly if it's NWO versus NWO, we're getting a fuck finish. Don't get invested. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they don't care. They're chanting for Goldberg. Um, that would, yeah, very sporadic chance for Goldberg. Yeah. Not yet. They're even half arsed about that. I don't, I think they, they, they well know at this stage, Goldberg isn't showing up. Yeah. This is thunder. Uh, Goldberg showed up once a month on this show um, and it's not on the tape portion um, so Conan dodges a corner charge uh, in the one bit that people kind of lit up for uh, he gets some good punches in it seemed like he was trying to finish the giant um, he attempts the big slam but giant falls on him which you know when a character has visibly gained away <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure that's the spot you want in your match no a really sloppy Russian leg sweep from Giant. Um, they're outside the ring now, and Giant, like I will say, Conan does a tremendous job selling like he's dead when he's dragging him around outside the ring. Like this guy looks like a, a, a breeze would knock him over. Mm-hmm. Um, Giant's putting a whooping on him. 
a big scoop slam out of the mats that I definitely wouldn't have taken. Um, Giant takes the table out, although I say he takes the table out. The table was just conveniently there by the rails. Which hadn't been there all night for, you know. Yeah. We won't question that was, that was just like, he's just not fucked, like bending down to get it out from underneath the rings. He's like, you better have that table out there for me or this isn't happening. Uh, he sets up the table kind of like against the steps and the ring post on the outside standing up. Um, he goes to do the corner charge, but on the table with Conan, once again, Conan uh, dodges and Giant just runs through it like a big dumb idiot. Um, <laughs> Conan then gets out uh, like one of those hefty steel chairs that has a bit of padding on it and yeah. stuff like that and shatters the chair on giant's back and it's interesting so we watched another match this weekly unrelated to this uh in our little match club we rewatched the cactus jack triple h in madison square garden street fight mm-hmm. one of the great wwf title matches of all time and i think it was zig was telling talking to us about how it was either zig or barry same person one of our Gorilla <laughs> Island mates uh, was remarking about how like the universe was just with that match. Everything mm-hmm. that happened accidentally in that match made the match better. And one of them was the chair breaking. Yes. Um, And like how smart though and how much those two guys in that match cared to make the chair shattering important as opposed to this match where Giant almost immediately stopped selling even though a chair has been shattered on his back. Because, as we just mentioned, at this point, he just is so checked out. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. What is your, is this, where does this rank in your favorite wrestler is clearly checked out moments? Because uh, I would have this almost right behind the iconic um, D. Malenko accidentally gets eliminated <laughs> from a battle royal and just doesn't care. Or um, is it Sanjay Dutt in the reverse battle royal? where he realises nobody is trying to keep him out of the ring and he just gets up onto the apron and takes a bump. I don't remember that one, but I will. <laughs> yeah. It's TNA, so I don't doubt it. Um, a great one is, and I think I saw it on the timeline again this morning, was um, Hercules Hernandez, who was finishing up with the WWF and he was facing Sid. Yeah. So he gets absolutely squashed. Combo. Squashed. <laughs> he gets absolutely squashed. Takes the power bomb, takes the cover. And it's gone and out of the ring within, I want to say, a couple of seconds. <laughs> Just, he's got his briefcase gone. <laughs> and it, again, this is like, you know, the whole story of guys that wear baby blue are on the way out of the territory. Yeah. He had actually, like, he was wearing the baby blue colours, which was not a Hercules Hernandez thing. and <laughs> uh, Just ultimate, like, does not give a fuck energy. Great stuff. So as soon as Conan breaks the chair on Giant, uh, the bell rings. It's two DQ finishes back to back to finish off Thunder. Woo! Because of course it is. (laughs) Giant sells this by being angry and not selling it and getting it back into the ring. Conan immediately bails, even though, like, again, Giant has literally just run headfirst through a table and had a chair broken on him. And Conan's running away in in fear and looks like he's been through more. A real baby Uh, face. And then to end the show, something I, I'm never sad to see, uh, Charles Robinson eats a massive choke slam. And he takes it like he's been killed to bits. My God. Like, <laughs> I know, like, Big Show is a, or Giant is a big guy. Yeah. And Charles is, you know, probably a, a smaller guy. Yeah. But the ease with which Giant <laughs> picks him up with one hand. Yeah. And fucking plants him. My goodness, I was just like, Okay. 
that's one way to end the show <laughs> remember remember the famous and again another highlight of thunder going back to our, our question the famous choke nap yes where uh giant <laughs> goes to choke slam hogan and gently lays him down to sleep instead because he knows where what side his bread's buttered on yeah um this was the opposite of that Poor this was, if he could have <laughs> shoot put Charles Robinson through the ring with that choke slam, he would have. Yeah. Oh God. Poor Charles. Ah, oh, I know. Um. Oh shit. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we haven't quite got the usual finish to the show. I'll go to you for your uh, oh. your winners and losers. Oh no. <laughs> but my finish counter appears to have been deleted. And I'm not happy about this. So why don't you talk to me about your winners and losers while, while I you see if I can results. recover it? Yeah. For uh, sake. Uh, okay. This is what happens when you're trying to do your notes on the cloud on two different devices. So, winners of this show. I don't think you'll argue with this one. Is Ray and Hoovy. They were the only two guys come on to appear on this show that come out with any credit like in the bank after afterwards um for losers i mean kendall windham i <laughs> i mean if i never saw another kendall windham match ever again <laughs> i would not complain um uh-huh. kenny chaos i mean the guy gave up the tag title he never gets another push ever again in his life he gave the title to a middle-aged woman you know yeah and where, where do you really go from there and I mean I'm being generous saying middle aged <laughs> um, yeah just a total just nothing of a show except for Ray Hoovy yeah uh, our hastily put together finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga puts this show at 7 matches with 4 clean finishes 2 DQs and 1 interference leading directly to a finish whew right in under the bell <laughs> <laughs> Uh, until next time, folks, uh, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you again. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now. You won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars